Welcome to episode 218 of the Win 6 podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as usual, my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. Jordan, we have been formally introduced to a certain Mike Budenholzer. Bud, Coach Bud. Um, and it, look, we're already on... Bud terms, you know. I, I don't know if you noticed this, but the mic, you know, the coach Budenholzer, all this has been bypassed. We are on Bud, you know. That's we'll get to that, but it's apparent already that this is just this is how it's got to be. Bud was introduced to the media, to the books fan base, um, officially at a press conference on Monday, and the press conference took place kind of overlooking where the court will be in the Wisconsin Sports and Entertainment Center, the as yet unnamed um, Wisconsin Sports and Entertainment Center. And on the background, I thought I thought they had kind of put the Jumbotron sort of thing up already. But that's what that was, right? Anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm really <laughs> I'm really getting a sidetrack that we haven't even started. Bud Talks, Jordan. What was your impression? Bud Talks, the sequel to TED Talks. So um, it was a press conference. The lighting, there was like floodlights, like construction floodlights, but it made it look like a spooky campfire. It also like made him squint quite a lot. Squint and very funny facial expressions that just <laughs> tickled me. Um, but yeah, uh, kind of. I, I mean, <laughs> we... The the last like big press conferences um, after hires or uh, organizational shuffling, um, you know those are noteworthy for some uh, <laughs> awful reasons. So it's good to see uh, just a no frills press conference talking to uh, you know the new coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. That's <laughs> that's more comforting than anything at this point than just having you know. What we saw last year, and even Jason Kidd's, you know, famously awkward press conference uh, four years ago now. Um, yeah, a, a, a no frills press conference, as I as I said before. Yeah, I actually think that's one of the most notable things about it is that it was a really big deal. It was the hire that we've hyped up as one of the most important decisions the books are going to have to make for a long, long time, and yet they just carried on a normal press conference. There was no really over-the-top kind of pomp and ceremony to it, Jordan. It was just, here's the coach. Except for the hard hats. I, th- I thought it's more safety, I think. Uh, yeah. But here's the but coach. It's also pomp. <laughs> Circumstance! Here's the coach. Here's the general manager who headed up the search, and they're going to talk to you. And that is a little bit unusual in comparison to what we've been used to. So from... That standpoint, I mean, it was uh, the moment the the stream, the feed went live. I was watching it online, and you see two chairs. Um, that does something straight away from a from a books perspective. You're like, okay, it's going to be horse and butt. You know, there's, I I I did think we were going to have more than that. I thought there would be at least one representative of ownership there, but upon reflection, I mean, they've done the right thing in not doing that. Let. John Horst go out, introduce the person who he did head the search for. And it is a little bit different to when Horst was hired last year, not just in terms of how the process panned out and um, the highly publicized ways where that one went wrong as opposed to where 
the public elements of this have all been about how smoothly it has gone. But also, as we talked about before, the general manager reports to owners, right? There's no, there isn't really the intermediary. So there isn't another person within the organization that you can send along with the new GM to introduce them. You have to bring an owner along. And on that occasion last year, it led to some uh, quotes that continue to follow the team around. Um, we even got another blast of, you know, process and results being kind of tied very closely together by John Horace today, but in a much less inflammatory way. It was just a press conference, but it was important for a number of reasons. Um, first and foremost, this was our chance to hear from Bud on, you know, what it is he sees himself doing with this team or what the appeal was. And we all knew, obviously, a massive part of that appeal is Giannis, but we got a little bit of insight beyond that. Did you come away with a positive sense, a more positive sense, maybe? I I feel like he kind of aced it from where I was sitting. I don't know if that's just because I'm already on board with the hire, that it felt that way, but I, I don't think there were any real missteps. And I think there was plenty there that, even for the unconverted, there were, you know, soundings that books fans can get on board with of he's saying the right things and him actually hitting on issues that, I mean, we've talked about for a long time. He he seemed to be on all of the right key points for his first opportunity to speak to the public. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think he, I don't think he hurt or helped or I think it's just pretty much what this hire has been since, you know, it was announced nearly a week ago, five days ago at this point now, um, as we're recording. Um, yeah, I think that's that's what you want to hear. He's talking about player development, core to our beliefs. I believe he's used that phrase like four or five times. So he preaching what he believes in, um, coaching-wise, talking about collabor- co- collaboration amongst coaching staff. John Horace used that amongst just the general organization, whether – regardless if it's a uh, front office or um, the players in the locker room, like all around um, it, that's what this hire is kind of being stamped to be. And obviously um, if you've read uh, any bud profiles or just profiles about the Atlanta Hawks in the last couple of years, that seemed, that is obviously a staple of what they try to do. Um, talked about uh um elite defensive potential that was you know that's probably where like amongst like sp- uh, specifics of what he values as uh as far as what goes on the court that's certainly going to be kind of uh not a benchmark but kind of like a, a yardstick a measuring stick of you know that's going to be immediate talk about when season gets underway and training camp rolls around next year um that's going to be something to judge by uh, once play gets underway. Um, but other than that, I'm trying to think of what else. What do you, do you say? You know, player development, all the stuff. You probably have more in front of you, so I'll turn it over to you. How do you, yeah, I'm somewhat prepared. I mean, <laughs> let's not let's not oversell it. But I have some things. Well, what we'll do is we'll work through some of the elements of it. We'll we'll start with the defense. Um, and even as we're as we're recording right now, there are some more details coming out about this, which I'll share with all of you too. Um. But he talked about on the defensive end, first of all, as you mentioned, he did mention the word elite, which will get people excited. But one of the things he pointed out that he used during the interview process was this kind of idea of how to unlock their talent defensively. And I found that interesting. What I found more interesting was how he phrased kind of his priorities and what it was going to be next. And to quote him directly, he said, uh, instilling our defensive principles and things that we hold core to our beliefs and i think some of them are very simplistic and the players will understand quickly and that's part of freeing them up to be great on that side of the court i found that particularly interesting just the idea of noting their simplicity and the player's ability to understand them quickly and i think there's a couple of reasons for that the first um is you know, the Bucks defense has been such a mess and they've obviously gone through such a convoluted system and a system that was clearly working against them at times in recent years that, at least from where I'm sitting, I, I'm kind of, I'm pretty comfortable with this team still having to figure things out defensively for, you know, a little bit of time. As in, 
I, I fully expected a betting in period because I just don't think there is an overnight fix for this team, particularly until they start getting some real game reps and finding out about themselves and where they're still going to be exposed. And in that regard, I think him noting that some of the things they're going to work on are very simplistic and that players can pick them up quickly. Um, that is, that is interesting. You're kind of, you're setting an expectation of source and you're shifting things back to, we can make it work a little bit sooner. Um, the other, the other interesting word there, and it's, it's something he used in a slightly different context as well. Elsewhere in the press conference, he then mentions part of that is freeing them up to be great on that side of the court. And I think this is something we'll, we'll hear a lot more of from Bud when you hear him talk. Um, this idea of players having freedom is really, really important and kind of paramount to everything that he looks to do with his team. And there's a piece, there's a piece I I linked to it, I believe, when when I did a big breakdown of basically all things but in recent days, a Kevin Arnovitz piece on the 2014-15 Hawks, where Arnovitz talked to a lot of the players on that roster and what really came back was it was the way more than anything that Budenholzer and his staff trusted the players treated them like adults and allowed them to go and take ownership of their own role their own responsibilities and their own development that really gave the players just an extra urge or desire to kick on and the room to do that and the room to make mistakes and the room to then go further and make the necessary improvements. And that freedom is something that seems to be a, a point he continues to come back to. So I, I find that interesting just because in a lot of ways, I mean, firstly, I don't think freedom would come across as part of anything that Jason Kidd was doing in recent years. And I know certainly I maybe more than anyone have talked about accountability in regard to Kidd. And I think in the way he kind of filtered that down to his players, there was less you know, let's be accountable for what we're doing, then it felt like there was blame when things went wrong. And that may be a tin line at times, but you've got to you've got to make sure you're on the right side of that or you lose players or you don't get the best out mentally. They're not in the best place when they get out on the court and then they have to deliver and they have to execute. So that particular idea was interesting to me. And to add to that, Eric Name of ESPN Milwaukee and Locked On Books, he is since tweeted out he, he spoke to the bud after the press conference about the defensive potential and uh, again to quote coach bud i think if you look at some of the individuals and if you want to just single out a few of them Giannis, i think what Giannis can do defensively the uniqueness of him it's on that end of the court that i think the potential for him to be an elite defender is obvious to everybody but especially me i think eric bledsoe is a point guard with toughness and strength and i think he could really set a tone here Malcolm Brogdon, both of those guys, I think are really, really good defensive point guards. I think Chris is someone who's growing as a defender and he has size and length. And some of the bigs, whether it's Ton and, and John and whoever else we fill out, I think Tony Snell is a guy who has been a defender, a 3 and D guy. I really believe there is definitely the makings of a good defensive team and it starts with Giannis. He's aware of my expectations of him and how I'm going to push him on the defensive end of the court. That's where it's going to start. There's not a lot there that we don't already know, okay? In terms of singling out players, they are the players that we've all talked about in terms of what they can bring defensively. Um, I think there may be a couple of nice surprises. Sterling Brown, for example, I think could be a nice surprise for Bud. Um, I think I think he'll get something out of Delhi, assuming Delhi can stay on the court and stay healthy, which has been a struggle at times over the last few years too. Um, but what you're kind of getting out of that is just in those players mentioned, I think I think you can already kind of identify the shape of what Bud's defense may look like. And he's talked about he's going to tailor this. But for me, I think with the with the guys on the roster at the moment, and I think particularly with the options that are there at center, I think you're going to see something similar to the defense he ran when Dwight Howard was with the Hawks. And if it is some variation of that or something close to it, I think a lot of books fans would quite like that because it was not as aggressive as some of Budenholzer's other schemes, the schemes that have been a cause of concern for some books thinking they were going to see the same kind of defense all over again. 
And really what it focused on was taking away three-pointers. They gave up a really low percentage on a low volume of attempts and forcing teams to drive towards the lane. I think with either Henson or Ton and with Yanis at the four, the books are kind of perfectly suited to that sort of style. And I just feel like in even mentioning that mix of players, it's easy to kind of draw up and say, okay, how can you play your defense with that group? Whether there are more aggressive elements still thrown in because of what the books can do, that's another question. Or whether you can just have the luxury that he had with some of his Hawks teams where he'd allow the better defenders to make reads, whether he thinks Giannis and Chris can gamble when they see fit and they have the physical attributes and the the mental aptitude to be able to execute that, that's a different question. It's really only something we'll find out over time. But I think in him emphasizing the defensive end, we knew that was going to happen. That is really who his teams have been. I think we do have some indications of what he's going to look to do and who he's going to look to utilizing certain roles within that is there anything in particular you picked up from the from his thoughts on defense or are you getting any clearer picture or what sort of ideas do you have about what bud's defense could look like in milwaukee next season um i mean i, I don't have any revolutionary ideas or thoughts about it really i know that just based on like past profiles about his hawks teams it's more specifically like I don't think it was a, the 60-win Hawks team, but I remember something Zach Lowe wrote. I think it was when he – that article, like, this a couple of years ago now, um, when he compared the Hawks' defense to the Bucks' defense of, uh, after the first year under Jason Kidd and something about, like, trying to build – that's where communication builds up between teammates and connecting with, like, just intuition and all that stuff. And I think – I mean, there's obviously the, the t- alt – team all length uh uh you know labels bandied about and stuff like that but terms of just trying to connect t- this uh team even further and unlock that that potential on that side i i'm sure that's how boonholder is looking at it in that way of just kind of uh he sees all these great defenders and just trying to trust one another and trust themselves and doing what he asked them in the responsibilities that he will give um, them over time as he, uh, uh, you know, get, gets used to coaching them and stuff like that. So I think that's, that's to me that there isn't any one scheme issue or how tweaks and stuff like that. I think that's, I think there's just the overall sense of trying to build this up even further to what uh, that they have, because he even alluded to it. I'm, I'm sure there are some Bucks fans uh, probably grumbling, and there have been since reports after the press conference about, you know, how is his staff going to be built? And obviously, there's there was David Aldridge's report last week about most of his assistants coming from Atlanta to Milwaukee, but that has been confirmed and all this stuff. And there's other things hanging over it. But he openly talked about how he said something about there's some things that that they have uh, uh, been coached before I was coming here that maybe I would look at something to kind of build on or something like that. And I'm sure people were grumbling about that, but um, yeah, I just think it's all, he's aware that there is some sort of foundation besides just the roster construction. There there may be things that he uh, can address that could be tweaked upon in terms of just, you know, habits and all that stuff like that. But um, I think he's keenly aware that there's, some good things happening and just trying to get that leap and trying to make uh forge a path towards consistency and uh all that stuff kind of in that vein i think the thing with that is we all know that's true and essentially he's probably talking about the worst parts of the book's defense there because on any given night they could also be the best parts of the book's defense and make them the best defensive team in the nba the problem was kids and his staff were basically pursuing a system that was impossible to replicate night after night. Now, should every element of that be thrown out completely? As in, are there spells in a game where you could turn to that, particularly when it's not what the opponent is expecting and cause complete chaos? If that's your plan B or your plan C, absolutely. And I I do think there is value in some of what they've done there and obviously even further building on that and something I think books fans would feel a lot more comfortable with. 
all you have to do is look to the series against the Celtics and the, the moments where they really started to switch everything and the success they've had there. So the the thing with the books and the thing I think which has made it all the more frustrating for everyone is for as bad as the defense has been and as much as everyone's complained about it, the complaints only come from the fact that we've all seen just how good it can be in bursts. And then it's when things are working against it or you're not setting it up to be closer to that level consistently. That's where the real level of kind of disappointment and frustration stems from. So uh, I do think that's not entirely wrong. I think incorporating elements of that in whatever way he sees fit is important. It would just be a lot more prudent, (laughs) a lot less stressful for all of us if he didn't lead with that sort of style as their primary defense. There's definitely success with the length the books have to be able to kind of throw a wildcard blitzing defense at teams when the situation kind of calls for it. You just don't want to be leaning on it kind of game in and game out. Um, on the on the assistant note, just while you're, you mentioned that, because as you said, there are some more things coming out about that. David Aldridge obviously did report that most of his staff would come with him. Um, in a, a post-press conference scrum with the media again, he, he spoke with us a little bit more. Matt Velasquez of the Journal Sentinel has has reported some of the details. Um, to quote Bud, I'm very hopeful that the majority of my staff will come with me. Um, Velasquez says that Horse noted he has been great at working, or sorry, Bud noted John Horse has been great at working with him and staff is a priority. He believes in the group he had in Atlanta, but is open to sitting down with other assistants, including prior books coaches. Um, Horse then added to that, that bringing in those assistants, building both staff is ultimately his job uh, to quote it. Um, that's ultimately my job to figure out how to get those guys here and him to identify who he wants and for us to work together on that. I think we'll make that transition here as soon as possible and as easy as possible. I mean, the the element of that that's going to be interesting is, you know, who's under contract in Atlanta still, whose contracts weren't necessarily uh, terminated with Bud's departure, if any. You know, they may, every, as much as Darvin Ham would seem like a lock to go elsewhere with Bud, you know, there may just still be technicalities of that to be worked out. I don't anticipate it being a major problem for the most part, but it could just take a couple of weeks to iron out. Um, so we're still left waiting on that, and that is interesting. It's it's one of the developments and one of the stories in this, which is kind of really central to the overall impression of it too, because I think getting Bud is great. Getting key players who shaped his staff and shaped his teams in Atlanta for multiple years really makes it even better again. I think that's where more excitement could come into play for Bucks fans on it. Um, to, to move on to the offensive end, didn't really talk extensively about offense. He did note that the possibilities are kind of flying around his head for what they could be, what they could do. And he did, when he spoke about Yana specifically, allude to earlier some of the options and the things they'd be able to do. Um, I guess most notably, to quote Bud, I can tell you that playing with more pace, with great pace, playing faster, lots of great people and ball movement, which again are kind of core to what I believe in. That's what he highlighted. Um, Again, I think this is interesting when you look at Bud as a coach and you look back on his own history, which he himself is kind of Warning against, um, to quote him again, he said, when you talk about system and what we've done for the last five years, those kind of things, I think we're going to figure out how it best fits the players in Milwaukee and implement and teach it. And like I said earlier, we'll learn from our players here too. Uh, but to get to the pace element in particular, pace hasn't always been a staple of Bud's teams, but over the last couple of years, and particularly last year, the Hawks started to ramp up the pace. Um, it's difficult to draw really meaningful results from that in the context of the books because of the roster he was playing with at the time but the idea of playing faster is definitely something i think that will appeal to books fans considering just how bogged down the books tend to be and they could get out and run in transition but outside of that 
they were often painfully lacking an urgency they'd be late getting into position to initiate anything and then they wouldn't really initiate anything and we'd end up with some sort of ugly inefficient iso possession so higher pace is a positive and the big thing for me with bud and that is the staple i think of his best teams offensively is the great people on ball movement as he put it and again that just comes into the books being a less stagnant team they're willing passers have been for a long time and have generally ranked well in assists there's so much more you can do with that though if you get guys moving and a feature of books play particularly last season i don't I don't know if it was quite the case the year before. I don't. I really don't think it was from memory. But last season, when those plays would bog down or when the ball, say, goes into Bledsoe's hands or Middleton or Yanis' hands and you're setting up for a very basic possession that is very close to one-on-one, if not a straight one-on-one, in that sort of situation, you'd watch guys who are really good shooters <laughs> stand in the corner, stand on the edge of the perimeter, and it's no use. You know, you've got to get guys moving to create space, to create openings, to force the opposing defense into a mistake. Um, someone who like that jumps out to me as being particularly interesting for right away is what can you do with Tony Snell if you get him running off screens more consistently and you get the ball moving? It's shooters like that. And I mean, but has probably has the one probably the best player ever, maybe to uh to play that kind of role in terms of his ability to run off screens relentlessly all game long and then shoot just as perfectly time after time. And Kyle Corver had some of his most successful years under Bud in Atlanta doing that with the offense built around that. And the shooting is the wild card, I think. When we think about what Bud's offense is going to be, it's going to come down to, well, what can they get out of the team in terms of shooting or who, if anyone, can they add? What is your sense on the offensive end? I mean, what he's talking about there is kind of, again, very much in line with what we all would have hoped for. It's common sense from a from a books perspective, but also from building an offense in the modern NBA. I think the, the part that was absent there was talk of three-point shooting, and that may be telling just in terms of there may be some figuring out on you know how they do that, where they get that from, what exactly they're hoping for in that department. Yeah, I, I think that that's going to take time. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, there wasn't. It was mostly the focus was on defense, and I'm sure over time we'll we'll get more about uh, you know just having putting a stamp on the offensive end. But um, I, I I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> that's all I have. I really have to say about the offense at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think the the most interesting part of it is going to be to see how Yanis is utilized because that's what he hasn't really had before. And even when you point back to the teams and the staffs he was a part of in San Antonio, they were still a very different profile of superstar, the guys that he had. You didn't play through them in necessarily the same way. And just how he sees that really more than anything is what's going to be the most interesting element heading into the season because everything is going to be shaped around Giannis. It's just and what sort of role is Bud going to see him? Is is he going to look for Giannis to do more facilitating? Are we going to see something closer to point Giannis? Are we going to see a completely different version of Giannis altogether? I think that's interesting because you know, from the point where point Yanis came in and that was all we talked about for a while and then that long disappeared. You know, I, I think we kind of wrote that off because it was written off under the previous regime. But what if a new coach comes in and they see the key to success for the books being the ball in Yanis' hands more often? And that includes initiating as well as scoring. There is a lot that could be interesting with that. And there's also a lot that could be opened up, particularly if you're worried about shooting. Um, one way to maximize your your spacing around it is put the ball in Yana's hands and then the guys are spacing for him, you know? So, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that one plays out. Um, it's going to be an interesting offseason. I think it's going to be interesting beyond 
you know, what comes back next year in terms of the roster. I think the names mentioned, the names not mentioned, are probably worth noting. And beyond that, who knows? They may just try to make some moves, um, particularly now that they have a coach there that they could say, okay, we're making moves to work towards this philosophy. Um, still have the draft pick. They will have multiple roster spots, if not really any space in free agency. So, yeah, we'll see how all of that plays out. Any other thoughts, notes, jokes you want to make on the, the press conference, Jordan, before we move on to the mail? Like? There was certainly the talk about the breakfast. We got a mention of berries and bacon. The, I mean, that's how Bud tipped off his first question. So we have two Bs right now. Two Bs by the the B man. But um, some, some think, Milwaukee breakfast place has got to be drawn up, you know. Buds, berries, and bacon. Big, big. Whatever. Um, uh, I trying to think of what else there was. Buds' fascination with the hard hats. That was very enjoyable. I feel like it was more the media's fascination because the same joke was made to him twice. And he, he looked and sounded just as awkward as you'd expect when people are continuing to kind of force you into talking about hard hats. But that's what makes it enjoyable. This is, it was my dream. I like awkwardness and <laughs> but just exudes that whenever he's, you know, doing his bud things that I'm sure he doesn't even realize that he's doing. But I am because I'm a keen observer of human awkwardness. Why am I talking like Duff Man? Um, yeah, I, that's pretty much it. Um, yeah, nothing else really comes to mind. All right, let's move it on to the mailbag in that case. From at Dukes MCH, who currently on the roster benefits most from the newly established Bucks University? Who benefits least? Um, I think most, I'm probably going to stick with the wings because that's been traditionally what Hawks University thrived in. Um, it's also, look, we've got to see which which assistants exactly do come over um, because some are more important than others for certain roles, but I, I would probably lean with Sterling Brown. I guess maybe DJ Wilson too. These are these are two guys who are new to the NBA still. And they might be the two players on the roster with the least, you know, Jason Kidd damage on who they are or what they can be as basketball players. So I think the chance for them to develop under a new coach at that stage in their career is interesting and would seem beneficial, but there will be others too. I think it was interesting. Uh, Bud went out of his way to stress, you know, player development isn't just young guys. He yeah. noted how older guys can improve too. I mean, on that front, I'd still put as who on the roster could benefit least. If, if Jack comes back, I'll put Chet down as benefiting least, but there's no reason to believe that, you know, a good staff and a good program in place for, for development and skills work and nutrition and everything can't kind of lead to marginal gains across the roster to give you something much bigger on the whole. I think that would have to be the hope. Yeah. Um, Shabazz, <laughs> I feel like I just have to. You're leaning that. into that more than me now. I mean, I, know. I think because you're on board. I don't know. Baz, Baz and Bud. No one asked Bud about that. That's a pity. Yeah. You mind, is he uh, allowed to talk about that? He's probably. I don't a, think so. That's also probably why he wasn't mentioned. It's just worth noting. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think Sterling Brown, DJ Wilson, even I mean Thon. Yeah. Thon is definitely in there. It's definitely not of the you know Hawks University is packed as like you know the wings of the Tim Hardaways the. Damari Carroll's, Kent Bazemore's. Um, but Thon is still someone that, I mean, he's he's had Al Horford. But Thon is still kind of a... a they're, again, they're shooting bigs. Uh, if you look at, like, Mike Muscala and Mike Scott yeah. were both second-round picks uh, who came true. Hawks University under Bud and his staff. 
and they developed into be certain type of players. Now, Ton obviously has very different body types to both of them. They all though that trio would vary in in height and size and skill in all sorts of areas. But I think the common line you could draw is shooting bigs. And I mean that that's two examples of front court shooters that you know the Hawks managed to develop from really nothing and get something out of. And uh, are two guys who are still relatively interesting in the NBA. I mean, Mike Scott has left Atlanta since, but had a really, really good season with the Wizards and was maybe a little bit too important to the Wizards at times, which is not great when you're looking to really make something out of your season. But yeah, I don't, I don't see any reason why Ton wouldn't fit in that too. Did you mention a lease? Uh, I mean, probably Jet, but... <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Marshall Plumley. I mean, he was there. He was there. Well, I think we've a question about that, so we'll leave that one for now. But he was there. We'll talk about that sh- soon. Um, from at JK4D7, what do you think a reasonable expectation for this defense should be next year, rankings-wise? I mean, if the books could get to anywhere close to middle of the pack in year one, um, I think... They would be hoping to be much better, and they can be much better, but considering where they've been, if you could be, you know, in the 10 to 15 range and remain similarly productive, if not more productive on offense, that's a massive difference overall. I I think it's tough to get into the, you know, rankings-wise prediction and defensive rating, but I... I think the goal should just be not to be hurting yourself actively on the defensive end. I think that would be a start for it. Yeah, I mean, again, if they talk. This has been an emphasis um, in their press conference, and yes, it's just comments and all that stuff, and it's very easy to get carried away with it. Especially, you know, this is our first intro. First, this is our introduction to, to Boonholzer, but that's that was largely the staple of his teams with the Atlanta Hawks. And they were very good at it. Um, barring, you know, this past season with, uh, you know, considering where they were in their rebuilding process and stuff like that, but it's going to be very similar to kind of last year. Really? Honestly, I mean, there was talk about being an elite defensive team that was from Jason Terry, who, you know, exudes confidence. <laughs> it just pours out of his Jets body. Said a lot of things before the season. Jets, yeah, exactly. But that's again, if you're talking about this in your introduction, that's going to be something that you're going to be judged by. And maybe it's, you might be shade under a top 10, but just you need progress. I mean, I, I can't remember where they ranked in terms of defensive rating this year. I'm sure it was, you know, the bottom, bottom third of the league, obviously, but I feel um, like it was 22nd or 23rd. I don't think they got oh. into, I don't feel like they got into that kind of next section. I'm pulling it up now though. So, We'll find out for sure. They were oh better than I thought. Seventeenth. Oh wow, that's surprising. Um, but yeah, I, I think I, the one thing that I would note with that though is like seventeenth this year with the way the league has pivoted was one hundred and seven point one points per one hundred possessions, which is not exactly stellar. And once you make that jump a couple of spots, I mean the gap is significant. You're you're very quickly like once you get to the fringes of the top ten, you're talking three points per one hundred possession difference, which yeah. that's a sizable gap to bridge from where they are to to move up. Um mm-hmm. the difference between let's see, they were one oh seven point one you're talking basically they were closer to being the worst defense than they were to being the seventh best defense. There you go. So I I think that's probably a good read on where they're at. It's about edging your way up. I'd yeah, I kind of stick with what I was saying into the 10 to 15 range and with a focus on kind of bridging that gap because three points per 100 possessions is quite a lot. So yeah, just moving closer. I think it can be a it can be a project to get them there. They could they could figure that out in no time at all. You know, they could if everything clicks into place. That's part of the idea of talking about, you know, what the personnel has to offer. That's why we've all done it for so long. That's why Bud opens up his 
an introductory press conference in doing so. Um, but I don't think there'd be any problem with the Bucs just becoming a perfectly average, acceptable defensive team where, you know, you're not looking at gaping holes and obvious liabilities straight away. From at Fredericks, is there any player in this roster that Coach Bud can't reach? What type of player is his archetype? I don't know, and I, I don't know if I'd feel comfortable naming names on that. I think the only kind of player that won't won't have the possibility to be positively kind of influenced or improved by Bud or his staff based on what they've done in the past is a player who just doesn't buy in or isn't interested. And I don't think that's a reflection on Bud or his staff. I think that's if you want to get better, you've got to fully buy into something and be open and willing to it. I think that's kind of the line you come down to. It's if you're if you're willing to learn, you're willing to improve, you're not gonna have a problem. It's attitude that could come into it. And I mean, like as an example to that. As good as Yanis is, you have to feel with a new staff with different ideas and a different perspective, Yanis will get better because he will listen and he will work relentlessly hard on what they ask him to do. If everyone on the roster could take that approach, I think you can say, oh, well, everyone should get better in some way. Not everyone is wired like Yanis. And I'm not talking about all of his incredible ability and his physical tools. I'm talking mentally as much as anything. I mean, that's that's the interesting part when they start to work with guys is you know, who wants to be that much better? Who wants to improve and who really wasn't happy with how things were and wants a better opportunity for themselves or a chance to make more money in the future? Whatever it may be, I think if guys want to buy in, it's a fresh start for everyone. So it's it's less even about development as there's a new coach here. I can just play like a new player, show them and maybe get into a different kind of place in the rotation. So I think it's on attitude as much as anything. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, fresh start. Uh, players feel, I mean, they certainly don't uh, maybe express the same frustrations that fans and, you know, us blood types uh, <laughs> have at, from time to time. But they certainly feel that they, they, I mean, a lot of it, they put this on themselves to want to be a good team. And if you you know, go out of your way of vouching um, or not vouching, but just putting these expectations on your back and you don't uh, exceed them. Um, that's, that's where the, that's where you get frustrated. That's where you need some sort of change. I mean, Malcolm Brogdon's, I mean, his ex exit interview is pretty plain and simple. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's pretty much. That's a guy uh, I back to get better under a new staff. You know, yeah, that's, I actually think I'd, I I'd think actually back him to get better under an old staff as well, just with that attitude. But I think he's really interesting in terms of uh, the one of the guys that could benefit greatly. Obviously, Sterling Brown coming from his rookie season played something like I looked at it the other day. It's not maybe like seven hundred seventy minutes, or it could be a lot more higher. No, but, I, th I think you're right. I think it's close to that. Yeah, but Brockton, I mean, he's obviously a very useful role player and all that stuff and he's very versatile i think that's another they there's just these little pieces obviously Giannis is the the epitome of this of just being this unique talent but guys like thon and brogdon and sterling brown's kind of the the classic 3d type so is tony snell but there's just certain guys that i think from you know five days in and just trying to trying to uh you know, glean on something that's positive with this change and stuff like that. I think Brogdon's, Brogdon could be an interesting type of uh, piece that could flourish even further um, beyond what he's done in these two seasons so far. So um, that's just a little side tangent. But yeah, I agree completely with just what you said before, uh, you know, answering this question. <laughs> I, I mean, I alluded that in the, the podcast we did just after his heart. I think, I think Brogdon's much more of a much more of an ideal bud point guard than Bledsoe is, to be honest. I, I don't think it's actually hard to draw very straight line comparisons to Bud's point guards and say, oh, Bledsoe, Bledsoe and Dennis Schroeder, they share some 
they share some similarities on and off the court where the very controlled version of Jeff Teague that, you know, was so influential in spurring the Hawks onto what they managed to do over those couple of seasons. I, I think there is Brogdon. a part of Malcolm Brogdon that can do that. Yeah, You know, you may need him to be more aggressive in some ways, but we saw glimpses this year that he can do some of those things. I think there's a part of that in there and there's probably a little bit more in some other departments. You know, he, he's probably better suited to some things that Bud might like him to do. And I, I think uh, for where both, both of us are sitting, I don't think it's a secret. We're very much interested in, oh, well, what will happen with Bledsoe? Would they consider doing something with Bledsoe and moving him on elsewhere? You know, if if an opportunity came up and there was something half-decent, I, I don't think the books would have to feel bad about that because I think Brogdon, Brogdon very much aligns with what Bud's team should, could, and likely will look to do on both ends of the floor. Um, from our Fredericks again, will OJ Mayo return to the books? Not completely serious, but a little. Um, <laughs> he might. <laughs> I, I, I certainly wouldn't. There's lots of things that I dismiss out of hand as ridiculous and never going to happen. Um, I don't. I don't think I can do that with that one. He might. He'll be available um, to re-enter the NBA this summer. There's also the element there where, and he's being vocal about this himself, it's been in articles where he feels he owes the book something and he feels he wants to pay back the organization. And honestly, from that standpoint, and I, I was never the biggest fan of OJ Mayo. I think when everyone else really liked things OJ Mayo was doing for the books and um, towards the end of his tenure, more than before that, I was never all that invested in, it. in saying that if, you can have a look at him working out and he looks like he's, you know, hasn't missed a beat and he's really in kind of condition to go and be a really solid player. If you can get OJ Mayo at like a veteran minimum, I mean, is there, is there any real risk in that deal? Is it worth taking a flyer on a guy who, who says and feels like he owes the organization, the fans, the owners specifically, he mentioned something. I don't know. I, I don't see a problem. It wouldn't be on any sort of priority list for me. I wouldn't be surprised if that is something that emerges, though. And as long as it's, you know, it's staying in line with that OJ Mayo owing the books rather than the books getting into any sort of business where they're paying him anything more than the minimum, which is tough for them to do. I'd be I'd be OK with it. I mean, it's not my favorite, but it doesn't have to be a complete disaster. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he's playing Puerto Rico. He'll be reinstated once free agency opens. Um, I, I, I don't. I who knows? I don't. I don't think it's impossible by any means. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to put some pieces together. From what he said, from him <laughs> being brought to a game and sitting courtside with with the owners. I mean, there are certainly there conclusions. Are there are conclusions. <sighs> It was. It wasn't quite a tribute. It was made out to be. It was. It was a tribute of sorts. It was, but it's not like the full treatment, you know. Um, Star video. I think it's. I think it's possible. That's that's what I'd say. Michael Beasley guy. From it, Mr. Jibs, is the team better suited for the free flowing but offense of earlier years or more pick and roll but offense of the last couple of years? Um, I I would love to be able to say it's the free flowing but offense of earlier years, but I think that's dependent on shooters and their shooters the books just don't have right now, or if they they do have shooters. I mean, I don't like saying that, and their shooters can probably perform a whole lot better in an offense that's designed to create higher quality looks for them. Maybe he looks to play that way. Um, I think the reality is you probably get something in between, but I say it will lean a little bit closer to being pick and roll but offense and i i am very interested in that because i think not even just last season but things but has done and done very well over the pick and roll over the years i think you know Giannis is kind of tailor-made to do a lot of the things that got really high quality looks for Millsap and horford for a long time and whether it is bledsoe or it's brogdon or whoever it is if it could be middleton it could be jabari if he's back running pick and rolls with him um, I think you can open up 
really high quality looks out of that. I mean, there was there has been a lot of talk among the Bucks fans over the years about just kind of how underutilized different combinations with Yanis were in the pick and roll. I don't think Bud will be quite as adverse to experimenting with that. How it ultimately shakes out will be interesting, but I, I do kind of, on all of this, on the defense as well, go to the sense of he's going to come up with something that is not exactly any previous iteration of his teams. I mean, that's one of the biggest reasons why I was advocating for him is the fact that he's a flexible, adaptable coach. He did it throughout his time in Atlanta. I think he'll look at what he has. He'll probably continue to weigh up decisions all the way into training camp when he really has guys back there and he can have a look with it. And then they'll shape whatever offense, whatever defense they feel suits the team best at that moment in time. Yes. Do you have a preference in what you'd like to see the books run offensively or what kind of bud offense? Whatever works. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there is an element to me which, you know, it probably doesn't even have to work all that often. It's just if it would be nice to see structured offense, you know, um, which is part of what was missing. It wasn't just, you know, that what was being run wasn't working. It was that often there wasn't anything being run at all. It was just, oh yeah, let's play offense. So yeah, I don't know. It, it will be, I've said it a few times now, I'll say it again. It will be interesting to see how Bud's offense takes shape heading into the season. There may still be, you know, the draft free agency trades to factor into that too, in terms of if they can tweak things towards one preference or the other a little bit more. From Atsuka Mint. Is Marshall Plumley as integral to this team's success as Chris and Yanis, given he and Chris represented the Bucks players at the press conference? Plumleys and Zeller seem to be hashtag Bucks DNA. We didn't actually get a single mention of DNA today, did we? Look at that. No. Maybe they ditched DNA with Kid, which I'd be Thank God. very much in favor of. Um, of all the buzzwords, it was one that became particularly grating. Um, Marshall Plumley's being smart here. He's being super smart. If well, technically, too, we don't know if his we don't his... if he's a one year or two year two way. Yeah. Hmm. I hmm. mean, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be a two year with the readiness the teams have just waived him. I don't know if there's any real. I don't know if there's guarantees on an additional year. It's. You know, just how often two-way deals flipped around, it doesn't feel like there was high risk in that. Um, I will say Plumley being there, okay, gave me some of the Ron Baker vibes, you know, Ron Baker's message to David Fisdale. There was another book who may or may not be on the roster to start the season, though, who went, you know, the full Ron Baker. Did you see this? Do you aware who I'm talking about? Full Ron Baker? Brandon Jennings tweeted. <laughs> I really like that coaching move Milwaukee made. And then he gave he gave one of these, you know, these I don't I don't know what you call that. Simple. He used an emoji. Are you are you looking at what I'm doing, Jordan? I'm looking at the emoji itself. Do you know what that's called? Oh, that's a hang ten. It hang ten bra. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I really like that coaching move Milwaukee made. Hang 10 emoji from Brandon Jennings. So Brandon Jennings and Marshall Plumley are working hard for their future, for the chance of potential minutes. Um, I don't know if Bud checks in on Twitter to see what Brandon Jennings is saying about him. I'm, why, why aren't we talking? Maybe Brandon Jennings is the player who could benefit most, Jordan. Get out of here. You, you know I'm joking. You know I'm joking. Um, from uh, Nihilus underscore books, can we all agree introductory press conferences are pointless and none of this means anything? Uh, yes and no. Does mean something. It's a coach that isn't Jason Kidd, you know, saying things that aren't Jason Kiddisms, giving real cause for optimism. I know this is, you know, counterproductive for your brand, Nihilus books, but no, there are, th there are things to 
discuss, things to be even excited about from the press conference, from just a lot of what we learned in recent days. So, yeah, it doesn't mean the books are going to win a championship, but there's a little meaning there somewhere. From a David on 21. I'm going to, uh, you've got to be on your toes for this one, Jordan. I, I yeah. think I'm, I'm expecting a really good answer here. Your announcer's coach of the books. In great detail, tell us what you'd wear. White shirt or a pattern shirt, solid blue or gray suit, or maybe a nice window pane. And would you pander to the owners by wearing a cream shirt or even gasp a cream sweater vest? Jordan, what would you wear if your announcer's coach of the books? Well, I was surprised that Bud didn't show up to the press conference wearing Lederhosen. I'm really focusing on this German <laughs> ancestry uh, threat. What would I wear to a press conference? <laughs> it's not just what would you wear to a press conference. You're a head coach of the Milwaukee Books. I'd wear... Um, you know what? I, I, I don't know what I would wear. Bango's suit and then just have the mascot head uh, off to the side because people obviously want me to take pictures, but that that's how I'd be introduced. I would wear a headless <laughs> bingo costume suit. Is that implying that you used to be bango? No. It sort of no, feels like that. It feels like you were bango and you were promoted to head coach. So you took that took the head off. Getting the, spirits. You're the spirit of bango, the team <laughs> organization. Okay, then I'd wear a, I'd be Fonz. I'd wear a leather jacket and hit oh, a, that, that is a good. nearby jukebox. That is good. I like it. I'd also bronze. I'd go to a tanning place and bronze <laughs> up, be the bronze bronze. <laughs> nice. Um, I think I think Bud did quite well on these stakes. By the way, he had a he had a green tie, but it wasn't it wasn't green green. You know, it wasn't in your face. Here I am. Bucks head coach with a green tie. It was just, you know, there was some subtlety there. Um, I certainly wouldn't wear anything cream ever, really. I mean, no, pass on the cream. Gray Greg Clapton suit. disagrees. Gray suit, I think. <laughs> I, I, I can't believe you did the riff. Um, <laughs> next question <laughs> from a Cheney Systems. Do you think any of the holdover coaches will be retained? My answer is yes. I just have absolutely no idea of who. Well, this goes beyond just the Bucks coaching staff because I would assume. I don't know how G League contracts work, coaching contracts, I should say. Um, but Jordan Brady's got to be in that mix. Um, would that be technically a retention? I, I would think so. I think he'll be the herd coach again. Yeah. Um, Vin Baker is kind of the the one that I would because I think that's I mean, we heard from him uh late last week because he was part of the NBA draft combine coaching one of the teams that was playing. Um, obviously joined him midseason. Who knows what the length of his contract was? I mean, that's that's what the whole. It's not just the Atlanta side of things. They have to figure out the the Bucks coaching side side of things because those uh, people are under contract. Joe Prunty's contract of you know he was technically head coach. He hasn't technically been fired or even acknowledged. Really, he was tanked, wasn't he, in the statement by Horst? Um, like... possibly. It may, it may have been elsewhere. I've definitely read John Horst tanking him but there wasn't a whole lot more i mean that was the indication that he was gone uh like part of it is i mean pronti and bud were assistants together in san antonio yeah i don't i don't expect pronti to be back but if pronti came back as an assistant would i be shocked not entirely um then what other voices do they want i mean would would be looking for another kind of former player, maybe who can give a development focus. I mean, Greg Foster has been working with 
kind of Bucks Bigs for quite a long time. Um, him and him and John Henson work relatively closely, to my knowledge. Um, Vin Baker then obviously is a former player and possibly someone you could you could look at in. Where's Broghammer? Broghammer. But, but that's the other part I was going to get to then. The, then there's the younger coaches where you have Broghammer and you also do have Sean Sweeney. Sweeney's the one that makes me most uncomfortable, and I do think that there could be a chance he sticks around. And the reason I say that, I mean, it's not necessarily that I'd have a major problem with Sweeney all of a sudden being one of the last guys on the bench and being a young coach that they feel has something and you can coach up to be a better coach or shape his ideas in a different way. I, I think the part of that that would concern me most is, you know, if Ben Sullivan comes over from Bud's old hawk stuff. There's a lot Sweeney. of <laughs> That's the Spider Man pointy leaf. What are you comparing uh, those two? That's not, I don't know, that's not remotely accurate. But if he comes over, um, there's a lot of the work that Sweeney seems to do on the book stuff that I would rather not have him do and rather have Sullivan do, you know. Um, you don't have the, the you know. I don't know. I was gonna make a terrible joke, <laughs> but it's you know it's one of those situations where I don't like. Where does Sweeney go? Is Sweeney got is Sweeney gonna land on another bench? I mean, I don't think it's just him. I think where do a lot of these guys go? I I think that is true. I mean, yeah, I I, I really don't know. I think it's probably only in hindsight we'll realize just how kind of eclectic and unusual the books mix of assistants were. And I'm not even just talking about the group that finished the season, but even if you go back to some of the ones that were on that staff throughout kids tenure, um, in a lot of ways, it kind of was a staff that was constructed by Jason Kidd and had the kind of the staples you'd expect of that. I, I'm sure there are good coaches among that staff who in different roles, could offer something and i'm sure that at least one if not two will stick around i just don't know who yeah and it's all it's already dependent on um what happens with the hawks because i mean the other element with the hawks too is lloyd pierce has to put an entire staff together he's never been a head coach before so what is he drawing from is he going to be able to bring other staffs away from philadelphia is he going to be able to draw them away is he going to possibly promote from some of the guys who were on Bud's staff? You know, if you're if you're an assistant who was three, four seats down Bud's staff, and all of a sudden you can have a lead assistant spot, you're gonna stay where you are, you know, and that then creates a need for Bud to either add someone new or keep someone who may be now going. I'm I'm very curious to see how all of that shakes out. I do think there will be at least one old face though. On the bench, just a question of who. Does it also mean Tim? Or no, he got he got let go after K got fired. Tim Gurgic. Oh yes, Gurgic is gone. Yeah. Um, from at KL Chenard. Why did he leave without saying goodbye? <laughs> um, I would take a guess that the goodbye was just too painful for Bud. He just you know, yeah. He didn't yeah. offer that one final bud wave. He couldn't. He couldn't cope with the goodbye. He maybe he'll reserve a special bud wave for when he visits Atlanta with the books next season. But yeah, I guess that's my only guess. There was a th- an interesting thing, and I guess it's played out. But when the Hawks season finished, I mean, there were plenty of bud quotes where you could really read between the lines, and he was saying a more of an emotional kind of he was wrapping up the season in more of an emotional way than you'd expect for a season that went the way it did so in the end i guess it wasn't all that surprising but maybe he'll have special bud waves for his old friends in atlanta when he returns next year with the books that also goes back to brandon jennings hang 10 catch the bud wave he's surfing <laughs> on the cali coast Point break. That's it for us for this episode. As always, thank you for listening. Uh, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on SoundCloud, add us on Stitcher, favorite us on TuneIn Radio. 
if you want to make sure you don't miss any future episodes of the Win and Six podcast. Um, next up for us, we will be starting our series of season review podcasts. We've been doing some writing on those subjects, but we'll be talking through the books rosters and kind of quick blasts, player to player, what we think of their season, the good, the bad, and probably now with everything that's happened, a mention of what we're hoping for, looking for from them next year. So they'll be spread out among multiple podcasts. You'll see them, I don't know, make their way out sometime soon. We'll keep them pretty regular. So you should have some, some good win and six listening over the next week, 10 days. In the meantime, also check out all of our writing, behindthebookpass.com. We're starting to ramp up our draft coverage in particular there, and as all eyes start to turn to that, we'll have everything you need to know about the players the books may choose to take at 17. And we've all sorts of other good stuff there too. Until next time, thanks to all of you for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.